0: Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but I feel like, you know, as a society, people generally find themselves into one of two groups of people. All right, now kind of go with me here a little bit. You're either like a night person or... Morning person. Now, if you're a night person, you kind of like flourish really well staying up late at night, but maybe you don't do so well in the mornings. Like, if it comes to an early start, maybe not so great for you. But if you're a morning person, you're like, you're up super early and you're like super energized in the morning, but you know, kind of like later at night, you're like, you like to go to bed maybe a little bit earlier than everybody else. Now, does anyone here like a bit of an sleep in. I don't know, maybe put it in the chat. I love a good sleep in. If you know me well, um, if I get the chance to have a day where I can sleep in, I am all for that. Um, but have you ever said to yourself, morning person or night person, you know what, tomorrow morning I'm going to set my alarm early and I'm going to get up early and I am going to fill in a blank. I'm going to get up early and go to the gym, I'm going to go do some exercise, Um, I'm going to meet with God, maybe you're going to get up early and make a start on work for the day, because you just want to, I don't know, maybe get a few things out of the way, but The reality of the next morning when your alarm goes off, it kind of starts to hit and you're like, you know what, I'm just gonna hit snooze because I'm really not ready to get up just yet. So you hit snooze, go back to sleep, and then the alarm goes off again, you're like, oh geez, I'm not ready to get up just yet, and you hit the snooze button again. And then I don't know if this happens to anybody else, But for me, I then start to kind of negotiate a little bit with myself. So maybe the first time I hit snooze, I might be like, you know what? I don't even really need to eat breakfast because I'm never really that hungry in the morning anyway. So I hit snooze and go, I'm not just gonna have breakfast. And then maybe the next time I'm like, do I really need to wash my hair today? Maybe I'll just put in dry shampoo or wear a hat or tie my hair up. I don't really need to wash my hair. Now maybe for some of you, you might hit the snooze button and you might say, oh look, do I even need to shower today? Like I I showered yesterday. Maybe maybe I don't really need to shower today. I didn't even really do anything yesterday anyway. So I'm not even really that dirty. I'm just gonna hit snooze and I'm just gonna go back to sleep for that little bit longer. And before you know it, you have started to negotiate essential activities that you would normally do every other day, just so you can get just that little bit of extra sleep. Now, you know, if this starts to become a little bit of a daily pattern, then you might say that sleep is perhaps a little bit more important to you than these things. Or maybe it's more important to you than spending the time for what you originally set your alarm for. Now, if this is a thing that is becoming between you and maybe your relationship with God, then maybe we would say that sleep is becoming an idol for you. And the truth is, anything can be an idol. Now, what you don't have to worry about is, is that Jesus is actually awake all of the time. So if you're not a morning person, don't worry, you can meet with Jesus any time of the day. So you don't actually need to worry about that. And people like me um, are really, really thankful about that, that I can speak to Jesus um, at any time of the day. But my point is, is that we need to be careful that even our daily habits aren't causing things to become idols in our lives. So this week, We are in week three of the You Asked For It series. And that is a series where we are answering all the questions that you guys asked for. And so the last two weeks, Pastor Ben has spoken on um, whether Christians should get the vaccination um, and also transgender and God. And so today I'm answering the question really in two parts. Um, How do we avoid making an idol out of the comforts in the West? And... What are some signs to watch out for that may indicate that we might have? So before we go any further, um, I really feel like I need to define what an idol is because depending on who you are and maybe your upbringing, when I say the word idol, you may have... Different ideas that kind of come into your mind. Maybe for some of you, you're thinking about someone who is literally like bowing down to a statue. You might think of um, like little little figurines or things that you might carry around in your pocket that you pull out every now and then. Or, you know, you might actually think of, you know, idols in terms of people like, um, you know, film stars. But if we're looking at a definition of what an idol is, it says that it's an image of God or a deity other than God or. Anything more essential than God to happiness, meaning in life, or identity. And idolatry is the excessive or blind adoration, reverence, or devotion, or the religious worship of idols. Tim Keller in Counterfeit Gods, which is a book that he wrote, says that an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that that you seek to give you what only God can give. Now, if you ask most people if they have an idol, initially, they're probably gonna say no because they are thinking, well, I'm not really physically bowing down to anything. I'm not bowing down to any statues or anything in my life. But the reality is that most idols are intangible. Most idols are about what's inside our hearts. And this morning you'll come to realise that idolatry is an issue of the heart and it's all about how we view the importance of our relationship with God. So the question we're asking today or that I'm answering for you is all about comforts in the West and how that relates to idols. But the reality is, is that this issue with idols and idolatry has really been a problem all the way back since the beginning of time. So if we look, go all the way back to the very start in Genesis and we look at Adam and Eve in the garden, um, that is really where it all began. They were told by God that they could eat from any fruit from a tree, geez, except the tree of (laughs) knowledge. Geez, yeah, it is a bit of a tongue twister. Um, When they took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge, Geez, I really need to get my words together. They deliberately disobeyed God. They disobeyed what He had really clearly spoken to Him. early on and so what they were doing in that moment was they're saying you know what we we really think that we know better now you can say that they were deceived because the word tells us that the serpent had come and really questioned adam and eve about well you know did god really say that you shouldn't eat of that fruit did he really say that you shouldn't do that but at the end of the day they desired to know more and they chose to go against what god had clearly spoken to them So where's the idol in this? Because we know that they weren't physically bowing down to the tree or to the fruit. But when they took the fruit, they were following their own desires and not God's desires for them. And this is where we find the idol for Adam and for Eve. And so where it may have started in the garden in scriptures, it actually follows all the way through. And we can read about it in many points Further along in Genesis, we read about Abraham and Isaac, and you may know the story. If you don't know about Abraham and Isaac, Abraham and his wife Sarah had been waiting for the promised child of Isaac for many decades. And at the time when Isaac was born, Abraham and Sarah were very old like a 100 years old then they had been waiting for this for such a long time and the reason why this was such a big deal not just because they were old and past childbearing age was because god had given abraham and sarah many promises that would come through having a child Um, promises of kings and kingdoms and you know descendants as numerous as the sands and you know on the sea and stars in the sky and so, you know, eventually they end up having this son, Isaac. And at one point in Genesis, in chapter 22, it says that God told Abraham to take Isaac to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now, I don't know if you're a parent, um, but you, I'm sure that you can relate to this on one aspect. I don't know how you would feel if you were then told that this child that you have, that you were then going to have to go and offer it as a burnt sacrifice. Um, surely Abraham would have been thinking, "Hang on a second, um, I don't, I don't know about this God. Surely you've made a mistake here." Um, One, uh, you've made all these promises to me and how am I meant to fulfill these or how are you meant to fulfill these if I no longer have the child to fulfill? And surely, you know, even if I did offer him as a sacrifice, Sarah and I, like, we're older now. Like, how are we going to have another child? So he would have had all of these thoughts going through his head at this time. But we read um, that... Abraham, the next morning, he got up, he prepared all these things, he gathered the wood, he took his son Isaac and he went off. And three days, it says on the third day they went to the mountain and just as Abraham was about to slaughter Isaac up on the mountain, so they built the altar. You know, there, there was a few conversations that happened here between Abraham and Isaac. It's really interesting. If you haven't read it, go to Genesis 22 and read it. But It says here and this is the most important part that the angel of the Lord said to Abraham do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me now the most important word here is the word fear that word fear does not mean to be afraid but that word fear there means to love more than anything It was in this act which, when we look at it with our human eyes, looked like it was going to be horrible, horrendous. It actually showed to God that Abraham really loved him more than anything else. Abraham had passed the test and Isaac had not become an idol and God was still the most important thing in his life. Now, there are two reasons really why Isaac may have so easily become an idol for Isaac, I mean for Abraham had he let him. The first is because culturally in that time, all the hopes and dreams of the the man of the house were on their family and particularly the firstborn son. So giving up your firstborn son would have been like an artist Um, giving up their eyes or um, a rider giving up their hands or a runner giving up their legs. It was a thing that they required in order to be able to, you know, bring honour and everything to their family. It was all their hopes and their dreams. And the second was that because Isaac was the way that Abraham was to receive all of the promises of God. And so, Once he was born, it would have been so easy for Abraham to then be like, oh, now I have this child and this child is how I'm going to receive all of the promises of God. And then completely negate the fact that God is actually completely needed in order to receive all of those promises. Because the promises actually come from God in in the first place. And so, you know, there, there are two ways for Isaac to have become an idol. But Abraham always kept God as the number one priority. And so an an important question here that Abraham had to ask himself was that after receiving the thing that was so precious that he had been longing and praying for, the desire of his heart, when he had received that, was God still the number one desire in his heart? And I think sometimes for us, we need to be careful that when we have been longing and praying for something for a long period of time and God um, answers our prayers, that we continue to keep him as our number one priority as well. The truth is as well, when it comes to our kids, it can be easy for us to put them into a position where they are a high priority as well. Even if we just think about those of you that have young children, especially, you know, the busyness of life. It's so easy to get so caught up in routines and And, you know, going from place to place. And the reality is, is because you desire the best for your children. You just want to give them a great life. But when all of those things get taken, you know, take you away from having your relationship with God as being the most important thing, because your time gets taken away from the time that you would spend with God, um, or all your resource, or whatever it is, and God then starts to become secondary in your life, then even your children and your family and all of those other good things can start to be elevated to a position where they are above God we need to be careful that good things don't come at the cost of our relationship with God let's take a look at the israelites okay so for them you know they're God's chosen people but they lived in egypt in in slavery for, you know, around 200 to 300 years until God made a way for them to be rescued through Moses. Once again, an amazing, miraculous story, how they came out of Egypt um, and, you know, into the wilderness, really. But um, they saw so many miracles. God provided for them in so many ways. But the Israelites had a little bit of a problem. And the problem for them was is that, when things didn't quite go the way that they wanted or they came up against an obstacle they didn't always go to god first often their first response was to kind of get a little bit frustrated they would start to grumble and the second thing is is that they often looked to moses because for them he was the one that brought them out of slavery now they knew that it was because of god but you've got to understand for them Moses was the one that would go meet with God and then Moses would come back and Moses would deliver the words that God had shared with them. And so, you know, they would kind of find themselves in this bit of pattern. Things wouldn't go their way. They'd start grumbling. Where's Moses? Okay. And so on one occasion we read in Exodus 32, the Israelites are starting to get restless because they're waiting for Moses to return from Mount Sinai. Now, waiting for Moses to return from Mount Sinai wasn't, unusual. He would often go up there to meet with God. But what was unusual on this one occasion was the period of time in which Moses was gone. You see, Moses would normally be gone for roughly a day. He would normally not spend overnight on Mount Sinai with God. But on this occasion, Moses was gone for 40 days. And so I can kind of relate a little bit here with the Israelites because I go, well, you know what, he was gone for 40 days. Like I would probably start grumbling too, you know. I'd be going, well, where is he? Is he coming back? And, you know, so I, I guess that's what the Israelites were thinking too. Maybe they were even thinking, is he even still alive? You know, like 40 days is a really long time. Like where is Moses? But in the time that Moses was gone, He decided, they decided to uh, fashion an idol in the form of a golden calf and then they decided that they would worship that as God. Now obviously we know that that is a a big no-no, we know that that is a really bad idea but for them, they had just been given the Ten Commandments by Moses. So the previous time that Moses had come down from the mountain, he had told the Israelites the Ten Commandments, and then he went back up for that 40-day stint. So they'd literally just been told the Ten Commandments. And you need to know that the first two of them are in relation to idols. So we read here, it says, in Exodus 20 verses 3 to 5, it says, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. It's pretty conclusive. You know, they can't make anything and they can't worship, worship anything that isn't God. And so the Israelites were really aware of this, but at the first moment of pressure they decided to make something to represent god and what they did is they produced an idol or a statue that was meant to represent god yahweh for them and what they did when they did this is they actually dishonored god because it didn't demonstrate his full glory it actually obscured who god was J.I. Packer says that this calf bull only represented one aspect of who God was, and that was his strength. And we need to be really careful that when we're um, representing God, that we're not just showing one aspect of who he is, that we are showing the full representation of God. And there is nothing on earth that can fully show the full image of God. And that is why idols you know, as an image of our God are so bad because they can never full, fully live up to the glory of who God is. Um, when Moses questioned Aaron about the calf, it really became clear just how intentional he had been about making this calf. When he responded to Moses in Genesis thirty-two twenty-three, he says, For they, being the Israelites, said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us, As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I, being Aaron, said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Now, surely... No one, like not even Moses, not even Aaron believes this, that he threw gold into a fire and a calf just magically just rolled out, just, you know, perfect calf made out of gold. Uh, Aaron would have had to have put some serious planning into the animal that they were going to make this idol or, you know, figure into. He would have had to have gathered all of the gold. You know, he put some effort into thinking about the time it was going to take, the, the resource that he was going to use to create this idol. And what we need to know is that when an idol is created in our life, it doesn't just appear. It is cultivated and it is crafted and it is developed. And often idols can be found where we devote our time or our money. But we also need to know that they can be found where we seek recognition, status and honour from what we do. And this was the case for someone called Jonah. Now, you may know the story of Jonah. It's often taught in, you know, kids' church or Sunday school. And for those of you who don't, I'm going to give you a really condensed version. So God told Jonah to go speak to um, the people of Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go, so he decides he's going to hop on a boat to a place called Tarshish. Uh, Tarshish is in the complete opposite direction to Nineveh. While he was on the boat, a big storm comes. They throw him overboard. A giant fish comes and swallows Jonah. Jonah spends three days in the fish. The fish spits him out on the shores of Nineveh. Jonah then goes to speak to the people of Nineveh. Okay, so that's it in a nutshell. Um, But what you need to know about Nineveh is that they were were idol worshippers. Okay, and the reason why God wanted Jonah to go speak to them was because they were really wicked people, and he wanted him to go tell them about the wrath that God was going to pour out upon them. Can you imagine why maybe Jonah didn't want to go? Um, the other thing about this is that the Ninevites, they were the most powerful city in the world at that time. okay And they were threatening to overrun Israel, okay, which is where Jonah was from. Now, Jonah, he was actually a Jewish prophet. okay—so So that is why God was calling upon him to go and speak to the Ninevites to begin with and so on first look it may be a little bit hard to see what an idol or which idol it might be that is present here in this story but what you need to know is that during this time if you were a prophet in Israel you were revered you were really looked up to you had um, a lot of honor when you would go and when you would speak in a place and when you would show up Um, it was because it was as if God was there speaking to the people because you were delivering the word of God. And so you would have quite a lot of acclaim um, when you would go and speak in a place. Now for Jonah, he may not have wanted to go to Nineveh for a whole raft of reasons. One might be just the, the natural reason because the Ninevites weren't very nice people. They didn't like the Israelites. And maybe he was thinking, you know what, if I go, they may actually kill me. But the other reason may be because he's like, you know what? If I go, are they even going to bother to listen to me? Why would I want to go and speak to people about their problems when they don't even want to listen to me anyway? They're not going to give me the honour that I deserve. I'm going to be bringing the word of God. They don't even care about God. They're worshipping other gods. They don't care about what I have to say. But what you need to understand is, is that the purpose of Jonah's gift was to be the mouthpiece of God. It was to deliver the words of God. And so perhaps what he enjoyed was the praise that the prophet received when he was in his hometown. And so this is where we see where the idol might have been in Jonah's heart. Jonah shows us that we must all guard our hearts from idolatry and that it's really what God thinks about us which is most important. And not the opinions of other people. Idolatry and disobedience can look the same on the outside but it's our response that can reveal where our idols are. Don't wait until God takes extreme measures until you obey. For Jonah it took being swallowed by a fish It says when you read through the scriptures that in that time he actually had a little bit of thinking to do and he suddenly realised that, you know, maybe I really should just do what God is asking me to do. I mean, you know, he is God. Um, For Abraham, it took being tested with sacrificing his son. We need to make sure that we have soft hearts towards God that are always in the pursuit of him and his plan for our lives. And you know, culturally at the moment, we find ourselves in what I think is kind of like this weird place. It's what we would call hedonistic ideals, where this idea that my pleasure and what I want is the most important thing. That I should follow after whatever makes me happy. That I should chase my dreams and I should chase my desires and I should do whatever feels good for me. Um, And what can happen, though, is that we fall into this trap of acquiring things that we desire and sometimes at great cost to us. Have you ever considered that getting your heart's deepest desires might be the worst thing that can ever happen to you? Because the pursuit of our own desire means that you can forget to follow after God's desires. The trap is that our hearts are predisposed to drift towards this pursuit of happiness. We're almost trained from a young age to go after whatever we want. I mean, all you have to do is look at kids. I mean, they they go after whatever it is that they want. Um, That we should just do whatever makes us happy. You know, if we look at companies, I mean, they've bought into this idea. I mean, if we think about L'Oreal which is a a makeup company for those of you that don't know. Their slogan is, you're worth it. You know what guys, you should buy our makeup because you're worth it, right? We look at McDonald's, they actually have a meal called the Happy Meal. And you know what, I bet they're thinking if you eat our meal, it'll make you happy, or at least that's what they want you to think. That is what they're selling to our kids to get them in, right? So this is part of this whole hedonistic ideals. That we, you know, even as a society, we're bought into this whole idea that we need to have the next thing, right? The next phone upgrade, the next, you know, latest design in wardrobe, the next new car, whatever it is. Now, I'm not saying that those things are bad. They're not of themselves bad, themselves, right? But if we are pursuing them at all costs and at the cost of our relationship with Jesus, well, then that's when they become a problem. The problem is, is that what makes us happy isn't always what is best for us. And we are not called to follow our own desires. We are called to follow Jesus. James 1, 13 to 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Is it wrong to have desires? Is it wrong to want things? Well, no, of course not. But if we do not submit them to God, then they have the power to lead us away from him. Here, James is warning us that we're only tempted by what we already long for. By the things, the desires that are already in our hearts. And the temptation helps show us what is already inside of us. And it really does reveal that we're all still on this path of redemption. We're all still on this path where we're growing to become more like Jesus. But it's why we must be so careful that we are following God's desires for our life. Our heart is deceitful and it will follow after whatever it wants if we don't keep it in check and at the root idolatry is an issue of the heart for some the temptation to follow our desires will come in the heat of the battle and for Jesus this happened when the devil shows up in the desert so at the time Jesus was fasting and on the first time when the devil shows up it says that he left until an opportune time Now, he was waiting until a time when Jesus would be weak. So he comes back at the end of the fast and the first thing that he says appeals to what would naturally be the biggest temptation for all of us, food. In Luke 4.3 he says, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus' response says, Man shall not live by bread alone. Here, Jesus was not tempted and lured away because his desires are not in the momentary pleasures. He's not looking to quench like his immediate temptation. He is after the Father's desires and he wasn't going to give in to what the devil was trying to tempt him with in that moment. For Jesus, he had a lifestyle of seeking after the Father's will in every circumstance. And we know this, because he taught the disciples how to pray. So we read in the Lord's Prayer, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this was Jesus's pattern for prayer. This is how he lived out his prayer life every single day. Temptations can come and go, but how we respond when they come in the heat of the moment is important. The biggest battle for Jesus came, when he faced the reality of his own death, when he knew that, you know, that day was coming when Judas had betrayed him and he was going to have to face that death on the cross. He, he knew that moment was coming. And we see him in the garden and, you know, he's spending time with God where he often was. And I'm par- paraphrasing here, but, you know, he's saying to God, you know, like, if you can take this away from me, if there's anything else, if there's anything else that you can do, you know, the temptation for Jesus in that moment was to get out. <laughs> he, he didn't want to face what was coming. You know, the temptation would be to flee, to run away from, from what was going to happen to him. But he follows it up by saying, not my will, but yours. And obviously we know the end to that story. We know what happened there. If we have the same discipline and lifestyle as what Jesus does, then, when moments come when we're faced with things in the heat of the battle we too can be strong just like jesus was i mean he was he was facing death you know a, a lot of us we don't face the kind of temptations where if we go after them we're, we're not going to die right? but for jesus he did but if we constantly choose our own pleasures in moments of temptation we can find that our resolve is weak we find it easy to give in to the things that we're we're desiring in our hearts. If your desire, if if your desire, hope, and your security and fulfillment isn't wholly found in your relationship with Jesus, then you're placing it and finding it in something or somebody else. This has plagued humanity right from the start, and the reality is is that nobody is immune from this. You need to know that no one is safe. It can catch up to any of us. And there is a reason why idols were the focus of the first two of the 10 commandments. And it's because God is so invested in his relationship with us. He desires to be the number one in all of our relationships. He wants to be at the forefront of everything in our lives. He is really serious. Actually, at the end of those two commandments, which I didn't read, which is probably almost the most important part, it says, for I am a jealous God. He is jealous after us. He desires relationship with us. I think, in fact, if we're all honest with ourselves, we could find something we either currently idolise or could easily idolise given the right circumstances. Sometimes idols are clearly wrong, but often idols are good things in God's place. And the greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hope. These are the ones that we need to be most wary of. God wants and desires what is best for you. And we need this truth to be deep in our hearts It doesn't matter how good something seems, how beneficial it appears, how popular or acceptable it is in a society, how sensible it might be, how rich or happy it might make you. Anything that is not in line with the Word of God is not good for you. Anything that is more important to you than God is an idol. A lot of the time, these good things look like our family, our relationships, our jobs, our careers, going after promotions. None of these things are bad, but when misplaced and out of order, these good things take God's place and become an idol. When we become a Christian and follow Jesus, we're acknowledging that we cannot do this alone that we need a saviour, that we have an issue with sin and that he's the only one that can save us. Colossians 3, 2 and 10 reminds us, and I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit here, to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of our creator. When we have a relationship with Jesus, we should be growing to become more like Him. Our focus should be focused on the things of God. We should be focusing on those things, not on the things of this earth. And when our minds are fixed on the right things, we can be content and we don't have to strive to fill ourselves with what the world promises. We can fill ourselves with the promises of God. And the key to remaining content is to realise We already have all we need in Jesus. We don't need to chase, desire or follow after anything or anyone else. We read in Philippians 4.11 how Paul was able to master being content. He says, For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, contentment moves us away from idolatry and closer to the heart of God. It means not looking towards our circumstances for satisfaction and security and peace, and instead looking to God to provide those things. When we look to our circumstances and desire something other than God, that's when we've put good things in God's place. John Piper says, he being God, he's more glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. You know, God expects that when we receive him as Lord and Savior that we're going to give up everything that has occupied the place in our lives. But some people wanna want God without giving up their idols. And John Bevere tells a great story in his book, Kryptonite, about a married couple. And so it's this married couple and they you know they've been married for just a short time, just a couple of months and everything is going great you know they're I guess in that you know what's termed the honeymoon period and you know they are just so in love with each other and you know they're going on dates and everything is just fantastic they are so in love and one day the husband comes home from work and his wife is already at home and she's in the bedroom and and she's getting all dressed up. So she's got this really nice dress on and um, you know, one that he's seen her wear before when they've gone out on dates and she's just you know, putting the finishing touches on, you know, just finishing her makeup and, and fixing her hair. And he walks in and he thinks, geez, have I forgotten something? He's like, oh, no, I've forgotten something. This is not good. You know, I shouldn't be forgetting things already. He's like, I know it's not our anniversary because we've only been married a couple of months. So it can't be that. And he's like, I know it's not a birthday. And he's racking his brain. He's like, I don't know what I've missed. And so he says to his wife, he's like, geez, you're looking really, really nice. He's like, oh, thanks. Thanks. Uh, Yeah, I'm just getting myself ready to go out. And he's like, yeah, I can see that. Like, you're looking really lovely. Like, I like what you've done with your hair. And he's like, um, so should I go get get changed? And she's like, yeah, if you want to. And he's like, okay, well, I was just thinking, you know, I'm just in my, my work clothes. It, it would be a little bit weird if you're dressed up and know, I'm just in my work clothes. And she turns and and faces him all confused. She's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, like if you're going out and looking all nice, like, I can't go out in my work clothes. Like it would look weird if we're out like this together. And she's like, what do you mean? Like, I'm going out on a date. Like, I'm not going out with you. And he's like, what are you talking about out on a date? And she said, yeah, I'm going out with Jack. Like, We're going out for dinner and a movie and we've booked a hotel. I'll be home like mid-morning tomorrow. He's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you're going out on a date with somebody else? Like, isn't that one of your, you know, old boyfriends? And she's like, well, yeah, like I'm going on a date. Like, didn't you think that, you know, I'd still be going out on dates? And he's like, well, no, we're married. Like, why would I think that you would be going out on a date? when we're married like we, we shouldn't be going out and dating other people like why are you still dating other people and she's like well I, I, just, I just thought that I would still be dating other people and he's like but we're married like we decided that we were going to you know be together and he's, she's like well yeah like I married you because you're my favourite but but I didn't intend on not dating other people and I think you know in this illustration we can see that the expectation of the wife was that she could still have her husband, that she could still be married, that she could still have this marriage covenant and still have all of her other past relationships. That she could still continue dating, that she could still continue going out on dates. And she didn't see any problem with this at all. And we see here that the husband is obviously really quite upset about this. He's like, but I should be your number one priority. Why are you going out and spending time dating these other people? And I think sometimes that we need to be careful that we're not approaching our covenant relationship with God in the same way. When we choose to follow Jesus, when we accept Him as our Lord and Saviour, when we say to God, "You know, we're we gonna follow you, we're gonna have this relationship with you, we're entering into a covenant relationship with God. He should be our number one relationship. He acknowledges we are going to have other things in our life as well but they shouldn't be coming at the cost of our relationship with god our covenant relationship with god should be the number one priority just like in a marriage that covenant relationship should be the number one priority as well in all the examples we've looked at today we see the same thing the idols were in the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of the desires of our hearts And all of these things were over the desires of God. Our ancient Eastern idols that we see in the scriptures are the same as the Western idols that we have today. Sure, we may have more material possessions. We may have different things um, that might distract us today. But the root causes and the issues are all the same. So what do we do if we find that we have an idol in our life? What do we do if we recognize and go, oh no, like, actually, I think that I have something that is a higher priority than God. The first thing we need to do is we just need to confess to God. Idolatry is a sin, and we just need to recognize it in ourselves, confess it to God, and then repent. The second thing you might like to do is you might like to just tell someone that's really close to you, because you might be like, think to yourself, you know what, I just need a little bit of help in making sure that I can keep my priorities right. And maybe you can have a friend um, or someone close to you that can just help you when they might see, like, maybe things are getting a little bit out of whack or they might just be an accountability person for you. Maybe today you're a little bit unsure and you're like, actually, I don't don't know if I have an idol. I actually feel like I might be all right, but I'm a little bit unsure and I want to make sure. Well, I guess... The best place to start is just to ask God and just say, God, if I have an idol in my life, if I have something that is in a higher position in my life than you, then please reveal it to me. You might ask a close friend again you know friends are pretty good at telling us the truth sometimes they might be able to help you but probably the the person that might really be able to tell you the truth might be your spouse so if you're married today and you're unsure if you have an idol maybe you can ask them hey do you think i've got something maybe it's a little bit out of whack here with my relationship with god and maybe an idol in my life they may be able to help you because the reality is idols can be really sneaky. But what I'd really like to do today is that I would love to pray for you. And so, you know, whether you feel like you have an idol today or not, or whether you're unsure, I'm just going to pray for you anyway, because the reality is whether you have one now or not, um, they are so sneaky and our heart likes to go after its desires it is deceitful and sometimes it likes to go after things even when we don't want it to and so i really want to pray for you that we can all make sure that we keep our priorities in the right order and that god is maintained as our number one so why don't you join with me as i pray lord god i just thank you so much that first of all that you came and that you have such a desire to have a relationship with us And Lord, I just pray that you would help each and every one of us to keep you as our main priority, Lord. And for those of us today that have maybe recognised that we have something in our life that is isn't idol. Lord, I just pray that you would just help us to um, not only confess it, God, but just help to make sure that we keep everything in the right order, Lord. Help us to make sure that when we're going about our lives, that things aren't creeping in, that the desires of our heart aren't deceiving us to thinking that we are keeping you the priority when really we're not. God, I just pray that you would just help us to always come to you first in every situation god help us to keep our time with you god help us to make sure that you are always the number one priority in every story that we've looked at today god um, we saw the same root issue weave its way through god and it's just where people's hearts just found themselves not quite in the right spot god and so i just pray that for each one of us that we would keep our hearts in the right place, God. Help us to have hearts that are following after you in every single circumstance. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.